Um, today we're continuing our vows series, which has been an online series for us uh, over the last couple of weeks, but we're getting the chance to um, tackle it in person this morning, and so we're thankful for you guys being here. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, today, and specifically we're going to be looking at the vow to love and to cherish, and so our whole goal of this series is to take these vows that we make to each other when we get married and figure out what do they actually mean so what does it mean to love and to cherish, and, and how does that um, really become a part of who we are as people who are obedient to Jesus but living uh, together in the context of marriage? So we're going to dig into that today in 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have your Bibles but you have the Bible app on your phone, you can find our notes there as well. Just go to events, and then you can find Church of Cane Bay and see our notes there. Um, so this Thursday, this past Thursday, was uh, my oldest daughter's birthday. Uh, she turned eight years old, which was a super fun day for us. And we have different birthday traditions. One of the things that you get to do if it's your birthday is you get to pick the music in the car um, that day. And so that's a pretty cool deal. And so lately my kids have been wandering either between Disney or Taylor Swift, like early Taylor Swift. And so she picked early Taylor Swift. And so Man, it was so fun. Like, I'm sitting there driving, and my girls are in the back seat, and they're just belting out, Why can't you see you belong with me? And my youngest, like, yells out in the middle of the song, I'm such a fan of Taylor Swift. It was like, it was just this awesome moment. And the song, like, comes to a close, and my oldest says, Dad, why does Taylor Swift write so many songs about love? And I said, well, you know, love's probably the thing that more people have written songs about than anything else in the whole world. And it's because we live in a culture that's obsessed with this idea of love. We want to figure out what love is. And so all of our movies, TV shows, all the books that we read, all the music that we listen to, like, we can't get away from it. We can't escape it. This idea of love is in everything, <clears throat> excuse me, everything that we're consuming. It's a part of all of the stuff that we're taking in. Uh, uh, the proof is everywhere around us. You hear things like, love lifts us up where we belong. I can't help falling in love with you. Love is all we need, like over and over and over again. We're constantly surrounded by this idea of love. And I was thinking about it a lot this week, trying to figure out why is love this thing that we are obsessed with so much? Why is it such a big deal to us? And I think a big part of it is because love is mysterious. It's kind of this enigma, like it's this thing that we, we know exists, but like we have a hard time honing in, putting our hands on it, figuring out, defining it exactly what it is. Like we have a hard time making that happen. And so it's got this mysterious nature to us. And so be, because of that, we, we really want to figure out what it is and we want to get to it. And, and, and we're just obsessed with it. Now, a lot of people think that our culture today is really obsessed with sex. And sex, I think, for us is this tangible way for us to try and get at love. It's something um, that, that is, is something that's simple. It's easier to define that our culture dives into this deep, trying to, trying to, through that, get to what love really is. And I think behind it all, that as human beings, that we are always trying to get at love because we have this desire that is built inside of us and inside of our hearts to be loved. 
We all want to be loved. We want people um, to love us and to care for us and, and, and to think that we, that we matter and that we are important. And see, sometimes the, the road to, to get to love is, is a messy road because it's this beautiful mystery and we try all different kinds of avenues to get there and, and we don't always end up in the right place. We run after infatuation or, or warm fuzzy feelings thinking that that's the way that we get there and sometimes we miss because truthfully our culture can't tell us what love is. They can't define what love is because they can never fully understand what love is. And I truly believe there's only one place we can go to to really find out a definition of what love is, and that is God's Word, where God is revealing Himself to us through His Word. And so we're going to dig into that today, especially in 1 Corinthians 13, which I think is probably the clearest definition of love um, that we see anywhere. Now, when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, this letter to the Corinthians church, um, he's writing it because they had a love problem. They didn't really understand love very well. Now, they had all the religious stuff down. They were doing everything right. They, they went to church. They were singing songs. They prayed together. Um, they're doing all the stuff that they were supposed to be doing well, but they were struggling to make love a priority. Now, the things that they were making a priority were a little different. For the Corinthians, they wanted to be like the coolest church on the block. And so they wanted the best speakers. They wanted the best leaders. They wanted to have the best music. I don't really know if that's true, but um, these things they cared about, they wanted the best. And then that led them constantly uh, to arguing with each other over who was the best and who had the best gifts and, and who was the best that was among them. And so Paul steps in as he's writing this letter and he's trying to tell them, um, that they're caring about the wrong things. Now, he acknowledges the fact that God has gifted them, that they have different gifts that God's given them to use for the kingdom. And so Paul's like, yeah, this is an important spiritual gift that you have. And yes, this person's great at this. And these things are good and they're valuable and you should be pursuing them, but they're not the most important thing. And so if you look at the end of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what Paul does is he tells them in verse 31, he says this, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And so he's telling them, yes, pursue those spiritual gifts. They're important. But then he says this, he says, but I will still show you a more excellent way. I will show you a still more excellent way. And Paul says, there's something better. Those gifts are great. They're really important. And yes, you guys are highlighting them in a big way, but there's still something better out there. That's the thing that you need to be pursuing. And what we find out as we move into chapter 13 is that more excellent way, that better way is love. And that love is the thing that they should be focused on. Now, here's what I want us to understand about this passage, though. When Paul's writing 1 Corinthians 13, um, one, Paul is single. And so Paul's not writing this as a married guy who's giving marriage advice. In fact, Paul's writing this to a church and so the focus of this passage, even though it's read at weddings and I read it at every wedding I ever do, the focus of this passage isn't romantic at all. It's actually how the church, the body of Christ, should be loving each other and caring for each other. And so the context here is not romance. Um, so a lot of you are in the room today and you're like, well, I'm single. And so maybe I have a relationship in front of me or some of us have relationships behind us. 
Um, this idea of love that Paul's talking about is just as applicable to you sitting in, in these chairs this morning as it is for those of us who are married. There's something here about love for all of us to take away today. And it's important for us to understand it. So I want us to dig in um, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. The first thing that we're going we're to see from Paul is this idea that love is primary. Here's what he says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul basically here is taking all these things that the Corinthians hold as really valuable. And he's basically telling them, all that stuff's great, but if you have those things and you don't have love, it doesn't matter. None of the rest of that stuff matters without love. He starts talking about speech first. And so he, got, he says, you guys care a lot about how good of a communicator someone is, but you could have the best communicator in the world who draws massive crowds. You could speak every language in the entire world and be able to communicate with a lot of different people. You could have the gift of speaking in tongues. But he says, but if you can do all of those things and you don't have love, then Paul says, you are like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now here's the thing, we read that all the time and I think that kind of goes by us. So I want us to really get a feel and a context for what Paul's talking about that person is like. Are you guys ready? So if you have all of those things and you're without love, you're like this. You're annoying. Okay? Nobody wants to be around you. Some of you guys wanted to leave the room when I was doing that. And that's what you create in people. If you are this incredibly gifted person, but you don't have love. We know people like this on social media, right? Who like, they want to get their point across. They want to be right. And they're just going to go in. And it doesn't matter what happens or who they make mad or anything. Like, it's more important to be right than to be loving. Is that what Paul's saying? Really, the opposite's true, right? It's great to be right. But if you can't be right without and not be loving, then nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Nobody's going to want to have anything to do with the truth that you're telling them if you're not bringing that truth to them with love. He moves on from there and he talks a little bit about knowledge in verse 2. He says, listen, you can know everything. You could, you could be this great prophet and prophesy stuff. You could understand everything in the world. You could have the kind of faith that move mount, moves mountains. But if you do all of that and you have these great gifts of knowledge, but you don't have love, it's nothing. When we think about our, our marriages, like these are good principles for us all to think about in the context of our normal lives every day with everybody that we interact with. But think about your marriage. Like, if, if, if you are the one who is, like, the smart one who has to be right and, and um, you're, you're always working to, like, convince your spouse you care more about being right than you care about loving them, this is what you're going to be like to them, right? 
They're not going to listen to what you have to say. You're not going to help your marriage by being right. You're going to help your marriage by loving your spouse the way that Christ loved you. Paul moves on to talk about the things that we do in verse 3, our actions. And I think it's fascinating here because the thing that he talks about, look at it again in verse 3. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We can completely sacrifice our lives for someone or something, but if we don't have love, it's a total waste. And I think a lot of times when we think about love, this, this idea of sacrifice is what we think about. That love is sacrifice. But guess what? You can sacrifice for someone and not be loving them. A lot of times when we sacrifice, we do it so that people will look at us and say, look at that person sacrificing. They're awesome. But that's the wrong motivation. And what Paul is saying is that love has got to be the foundation of all of these things. And if it's not there then we're going to miss the mark. Love has to be primary. And why is that? We get a really clear picture of this in, in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. The answer is God is love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God is love. Love, I believe, is the defining characteristic of who God is. It's the motivation for, for what God does, and His love echoes into every single area of our lives because we can't really know love without experiencing the love of God. And we see the love of God most clearly in that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice for our sins for our mistakes, for our goof-ups. That God loved us enough to give his only son, and Jesus loved us enough to sacrifice his own life in obedience to God so that we could be brought back into relationship with him. And we're never going to be able to love another person right unless we've experienced that love from God clearly. And the love that we have to give other people in our lives is only going to be in proportion to the love that we have experienced from God. We have to make love primary in our lives. God loved us so that we could love our spouse, so that we could love our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our family members. But we could never do it until we experience his love first. So love is primary, but number two, love keeps going. Look at verse four. This is the, the best description of love I, that I've ever seen. <clears throat> he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. And so Paul's giving us this list, this impossible list of what love looks like. And we're just going to go through it. So he talks about love being patient and kind. That if you love someone, you're going to be willing to wait for them. You're going to bear through whatever the situation is to get through to the end and, and constantly do that in kindness. The love doesn't envy, that it, that it doesn't boast, that it doesn't care more about itself and its own desires, but it's thinking more about the other person and it, it's not trying to lift itself up. The love's not arrogant or rude. And when we disagree with someone that we love, that we're going to still disagree in a way that is loving. Because remember, we don't care more about being right. We care more about loving. He says love doesn't insist on its own way. That we don't have to be right. That we don't have to win every argument. That we don't have to get our way. In fact, sometimes love's going to care a lot more about the other person winning the other person being right, and the other person benefiting from a conversation like that. Love's not irritable. Doesn't get angry easy. We don't hold grudges. There's not bitterness that's building up inside of us if we love someone. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. We don't celebrate when somebody else falls or makes a mistake. A lot of times we do that so that we can look better, that we can be lifted up. But love doesn't do that. When we see someone else who's made a mistake or fallen, we're going to be there to pick them back up rather than celebrating the fact. Love bears all things. We're willing to take on whatever the load is, no matter how heavy it is. Whatever the cost is going to be to us, love is going to bear all things. I love this. Love is going to hope all things. In love, there is hope. There's a bright future. We're not stuck in the problems of today, but we're focused on the hope of tomorrow. We're not focused on where we are right now, but we're focused on what God can do to bring us into glorious light. So love hopes all things. And then he talks about how love endures all things, that it keeps going. No matter what the obstacles may be, love is always going to keep going. It reminds me of what one of my favorite philosophers, Wesley from The Princess Bride, says. Death cannot stop true love. What it can do is delay it for a little while. This is this glimpse of love that we see, and, and we, we could put it all on the, on the screen and see a list of all these different things that, that love is. And what we're going to be looking at is this list that seems impossible to us. It's going to seem out of reach that on our best day, maybe we could just want to be like this. But how many of us do this perfectly every day? Is there anybody? I've got a lot to learn from you, if it's the case. But this is like this impossible goal. But this is what love is. This is how God loves us and how God is calling us to love others at the same time. So what do we do? How do we do do it? I want you to think back to, to the first moment where you and your life experienced someone loving you in one of these ways. At least that you can remember. And you probably do remember. Because these are the kind of moments that stand in our lives forever that we remember when someone loves us like this. Um, I think back to when Emily and I went on our first date. It was kind of a weekend's worth of dates. Um, But it it started out, the first thing that we did was we went on uh, a picnic to like a, a local lake. And we sat and we talked for hours. And it was just this 
awesome time where we were really getting to know each other uh, in a better way. Um, I'll remember that thing forever. Um, but I saw in Emily that day um, characteristics of this that allowed me to understand the kind of person that she was and that she was someone who loves uh, and who loves deeply. And, and the really unromantic part of the whole story is that um, when we were going to pick up dinner um, for that picnic, um, I realized that I didn't have my debit card. Um, and I'm not a person who carries cash, and so I didn't have any money. And Emily had to buy our first date meal um, for that picnic. And I'm sure that she had a lot of thoughts, um, but she was patient and she was kind. She wasn't arrogant. She wasn't rude. She didn't insist on her own way. She wasn't irritable or resentful. I saw in her through my own mistakes that day these characteristics of love, and I still feel terrible about it, but I'm, I'm glad that I was able to experience this from her. And really, over the course of the, that weekend, like over and over again, I was able to see that this is the kind of person that, that she was. And our last day, it was a holiday weekend. Our last day was a Monday. We went on another picnic and I, I did buy lunch that day. Um, but we went on that picnic and we went to this church like way out in the country and we ate inside and then we were kind of walking around the graveyard after. And there was this beautiful moment where our hands touched for the first time and we held hands. And it's a moment I remember forever. Um, we had both held hands with other people before. It wasn't that that was the magical part of it. But, but in that moment, like everything that I had experienced about her that was on this screen, that was from this passage, that I saw her, her, her capability for love and grace, like as we held hands for the first time, it just made that moment electric. And I felt like in that moment that I could do anything, that the future was bright, that there was nothing that was wrong with the world. And you've probably had moments where you felt like that before, and that's how powerful love is. We experience these moments where we feel like love can make everything possible in our lives, but these moments are, are fleeting, and they pass us by, and many of us haven't felt that in days or weeks or, or even years. And why is that? Because we know from Scripture that love keeps going, that it endures that it's going to continue on. But see, a lot of us are craving that kind of love, that we want to experience that kind of love. We want to get that kind of love, but we're not willing to give it in return. And we're not willing to sacrifice in order for someone else to experience that. And when we're not willing to do it, we're not going to get it back in return either. We look at a list like this on the screen, and it seems impossible to us. And I'm just going to say it. It is. It is impossible for you on your own to love another person this way. But guess what? God makes all things possible. And you are able to love your spouse or your friend or your family member, whoever it is, like this because God loves you like this. Remember in a marriage, we make a covenant with each other. And a covenant's not a contract. It's not two people who come together and say, you know what, we're going to agree together to be married. And as long as everything's cool, we're going to stay together. And when things aren't cool anymore, we're out. But marriage is a covenant. And a covenant involves two people, but it also has someone who holds that covenant. And God is the third person who is a part of our covenant relationships in marriage. 
And God is holding our marriages together. We can't do it on our own strength. We're going to fail. We're going to fall apart every time. But because we're able to have someone who's holding it together, who loves us, who in turn, we can take that same love and show it to each other. We're able to persevere. We're able to keep going. And we're able to show each other the kind of love that God has shown us because he loved us first. So look at this list. Now I could say, so this week I want you to go and do this. But that's going to be really hard, so we're going to simplify it. This week, I want you to pick one or two of these things that you can say, I'm going to work on that this week. I'm going to try to love my spouse or my friend the way that God loves me like this in this area this week. So, so for you, maybe, maybe it's that you're not going to insist on your own way that you're not going to be pushy in your relationship. You're not going to make sure that you have to be the one that wins the fight. Maybe, maybe you don't want to be irritable. So maybe the things that annoy you about your spouse, the things that bother you every day that you're constantly mentioning and trying to get them to stop, maybe this week you commit to saying, I'm not going to talk about those things. But instead, I'm going to talk about the things that I love about my spouse instead and show love in that way. Um, maybe... Maybe it's that you want to be kind, that you want to create a bright spot in their week, that you're going to go out of your way to do something that you normally wouldn't do in a way that they're going to experience love. It could be a letter. It could be you take them out on a date. It could be that you go for a walk. Maybe you want to hope all things this week. Maybe instead of spending your conversations about the things that are in trouble and the things that are falling apart and the things that you're anxious about, you spend time talking about the things that you can dream about together. What are the hopes and dreams that you have together for a bright future? Take one of those this week and spend some time thinking about it. And if you don't know where to start, um, this has been a classic for years, the five love languages. You take a test, it tells you how you experience love and receive love, and also how you give love. And if you can know how your spouse receives love in the best way, it's a huge clue for you to begin to know how to show love to them in a way that's tangible, that they're going to feel on an ongoing basis. So love is primary. Love keeps going. And then number three, love never ends. Let's look at verse eight. Paul says it, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease as for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul says that love never ends. Everything else in this world is temporary. All the things that we're pursuing and running after are going to fall apart and go away at some point in our lives. Your job, your career, this thing that you give 40 plus hours to every single week, one day it's not going to matter. It's temporary. The house that you want to buy, the cars that you want, the toys, the stuff, all these things that we give our lives and our time to, one day they're going to be gone. They're going to disappear. And the only thing that is going to be left standing 
is the love that you've shown for somebody else. It's the only thing. Only thing is that love. At the end of our lives, all we have is the love that we showed each other. Paul talks about in verse 9 how we can't see this or understand it fully. Like now we, we see partially, we're like kids who are growing up who, who don't get the full picture. We don't understand everything fully as it is, but we just get part of it. But as we grow up, we get a better understanding of, of what love is. And he finishes in verse 13 saying, faith, hope, love remain, but the greatest of these is love. That love is primary. My dad passed away a few years ago, and I, my mom asked me if I would do the eulogy at his funeral. And I remember that day, uh, I wrote it the night before, and I got up there that day to do it, and um, even walking up, like, tears just started welling up, and I'm, I'm weeping, and I'm, I'm emotional, and I'm having a hard time getting my words out. But you know what? In, in my eulogy for my dad and, and even in the conversations that were happening that day at his funeral, nobody talked about my dad's job unless they worked with him. Nobody talked about the house that my family lived in. Nobody talked about what my dad had achieved in his life. But you know what everybody talked about? How much my dad loved the people in his life. Because at the end of our lives, that's the only thing that's left. I want to read for you guys part of the eulogy that I wrote for my dad that I read that day. So said, Dad modeled the servant leadership of Jesus in his marriage to my beautiful mom, to our families. My sisters and I struggled through adolescence and came to faith in Jesus. There was never a question that Dad was the leader in our family. But he led with so much grace, consistency, and love that he was never hard to follow. We wanted to follow Dad and please and honor Dad as he taught us what it meant to follow Christ, to please and honor him. Dad loved Mom. You heard it in his words, but you could mostly see it in how he trusted her. She worked so diligently to care for him over the past few years in his cancer, but that was a reflection of the care that he showed for her as she struggled through her own cancer. I've never seen such a consistent example of real sacrificial love as I was able to see in the relationship of my mom and dad. You see, love never ends. And these vows that we take to love and to cherish each other are vows that we take because God has loved and cherished us. And we get the chance in our daily lives to spend our time not so much caring about all the temporary stuff that's going to crash and fall about, but working really hard each day to show the people in our lives that we love them the way that Jesus loved us. And there are easier things for us to run after those temporary, that temporary stuff, it's, it's simpler. We could just run after an infatuation or, or, or lust or just trying to, to please ourselves and, and feed our own selfishness, but all of that stuff is going to pass away. And our culture is in a crisis today of marriage because we've given ourselves to the stuff that's temporary. 
over what never ends. When the infatuation's gone and the warm fuzzies go away and I'm not getting what I want out of a relationship anymore, we just walk away. We've traded love for lesser stuff. Remember what Paul said at the end of chapter 12. I will show you still a more excellent way that there is a better way and that love is something that is life-giving and hope-giving and it's contagious. That as people see us loving each other the way that God loved us, they're going to want to be a part of it. They're going to want to experience it. I really believe that all the feelings that we had early in our relationships, all the things that we felt for each other, we can feel those again if both of us in a marriage are willing to say, I'm going to do my best and try my hardest every single way to love you the way that God loves me. And it's hard. It was easy in the beginning. Those feelings were simple, and you want to know why? Because you didn't know each other that well. Because you didn't know the other person's flaws. You didn't know the other person's mistakes. You didn't know their annoying habits. But the reality is now, in a marriage, you wake up in a bed with the same person day after day after day, and you know everything about them that's broken. You know every struggle they have. You know every failure that they've had. And it's hard to love someone like that. But guess what? God knew every single one of those things about you and he decided to step in and love you anyways. In our brokenness, in our sin, in our struggles, God looked at us and said, it's not going to stop me because I love you. I'm going to send my son Jesus for you because I want to be in relationship with you. And that's the kind of love that God is calling us to love each other with. That no matter how broken we are, no matter how many failures we have had in our lives, no matter how much sin is in the way, that we're willing to say, I'm going to keep going because love conquers all. And because I want to love in the way that God first loved me. Guys, it's why the gospel is powerful. And if you look at a person and say, it is hard to love them, then reflect on the fact that when God looked at you, it probably was hard for him to love you as well. But he stepped into our mess. He stepped into our brokenness. And he's calling us to be willing to do the same with each other in our marriages, in our church, in our relationships, in our friendships, that we would love each other the way he first loved us. Spouses, I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you be willing to sacrifice yourself for your spouse? If we were having a conversation and I asked you, most of us would probably say yes. Right? It's the right answer. But rarely do we get the chance and the opportunity to show that, right? Rarely do we get to be the one who sacrifices our lives for the sake of the person that we love. But think about this. Your life is filled with hundreds of small opportunities every day 
where you get to show that, where you get to sacrifice what you want, where you get to sacrifice yourself for the sake of your spouse. And most of the time, we don't do it. We run after what's easy, and that's making ourselves feel good or making ourselves win. If I asked your spouse, would they be willing to sacrifice themselves for you? What do you think they would say? Based on the kind of love that you show them on a daily basis, based on the way that you show them that you love them, what would they say? What does your life and your actions say on a daily basis about the way that you love your spouse? See, guys, God's calling us to something that's so much greater than what we're living. We've got to love extravagantly the way that God loved us. I'm guilty of not doing this every single day. And it hurts my heart. But God's calling us to something more. We love because God first loved us. There may be some of us in the room this morning that have never experienced real love because we've never experienced the love that God has for us. So you could be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with him, but you want to meet him because you're looking around at your world and you're seeing your own failures and your own mistakes and you know that you need someone to rescue you out of them. You know that you need someone to love you no matter what you've done. And God is reaching out to you this morning and he is saying, I love you and it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to experience who I am. This morning is your opportunity to say yes to God and to allow him to love you with a love that will never end. A love that is patient a love that is kind, a love that's going to bear everything in your life if you just let him. I'll be in the back as we sing, and I would love the chance to talk to you and pray with you about making that decision this morning. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we can be people who love the way that God loves us. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for the love that you've shown to us. And it's something that we talk about all the time. But rarely do we take the time to stop and think about exactly what it means that in all of our brokenness and in all of our sin, God, that you were willing, knowing every mistake, you were willing to step in and love us anyways. God, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to love each other that way. God, give us inside of us this desire to want to be an expression of your gospel and your hope by the way that we love our spouse, by the way that we love our family members, the way that we love our friends, the way that we love each other. Lord, may this be a place that the outside world looks in on and says, I don't understand what's happening inside of that church, but all I know is that it's beautiful. And it's nothing like what I see outside of those walls. God, teach us how to love each other. God, give us the boldness to put ourselves aside and be willing to love the way that you've loved us. 
Lord, I pray as we sing and as we respond, God, that we respond in a way that sets ourselves aside and gives ourselves to you. In Christ's name we pray.